That was just really, really good. You guys want to come to Geneva? Man, seriously, man. We have nothing like that at all. That would be really cool, man, seriously. But anyway, one thing at a time. Anyway, it's a great privilege to be with you again this evening. And um, as I shared with Jesse some of the thoughts of what uh, he wouldn't be to do tonight, he felt it would be really good um, to share about how to pray for your missionaries. And um, that's a really great thing for me to be able to speak on because we really, your missionaries, but we do too, really need your prayers. And I would like to thank you already for having prayed for us this evening. So I've titled my sermon tonight, <coughs> Brethren, Pray for Us. Brethren, Pray for Us, First Thessalonians 5.25. About 30 years ago, something, maybe 25 years ago, something rather startling happened to us. Um, we were in a pretty difficult situation. We were in Paris, big problems, you know how it is. And uh, <clears throat> we were home on furlough. We were with team at the time. And um, Meg and I were extremely hurt, down, beat up, discouraged. And we came back frankly wondering if we were going to go back to the field or not. It, it was really a bad situation that we'd had in Paris. So as missionaries do, we were you know, visiting our churches, supporting churches and stuff, and it was in 1995, we had a church at the time that supported us in Modesto, California. And um, so we were just passing through for a day or two, and they said, John, you know, can you uh, come to our pastor's meeting? It was kind of a large church and a lot of pastors. And um, we have an 8 a.m. pastor's time Monday morning, would you please come? I said, sure. So we went over there, and um, all the pastors were there, and they said, can you just kind of share what's going on? So I was like, I was like well, I'm just kind of beat up and discouraged and down and <laughs> just like everything. They said, okay, we get it. We'll stop right there. They said, would you like to pray for you? I didn't really share that much with them. I said, okay. So they said, just sit here, and we're going to start praying for you. So they started praying. Started praying for me, for the church, one pastor after another. Five minutes, ten minutes, they began to pray for Meg. Fifteen minutes. Then for each of our children, John William, Kimberly, James. Fifteen, twenty, twenty-five minutes. One after another, thirty minutes. Kept praying, thirty-five minutes, forty minutes, forty-five minutes. <laughs> These guys prayed for us. And I remember at about minute 20 or something, I mean, I was just sitting there, just like I started crying, just, just sobbing, really. And it was like, I felt like these guys were literally taking this burden on me that was almost visible and just lifting it up. What they were doing is they were praying. They were saying, John, look, we, we get it. You're hurt. So we're going to take that burden and take it on us through prayer. It was incredible. I, I, I've never, I'd never been prayed for 30 minutes, uh, 45 minutes straight in my life, and I never have since. Just me, just us. That's it. 16 pastors just praying like that. They prayed fervently. And you know what? I needed that. I needed for people to pray for me. 
Now, that might surprise you, saying, need it? John, <clears throat> you're a missionary. You're a missionary. Do missionaries really need to be prayed for? I mean, I thought missionaries were kind of had it made. They were like the Rambos, the Schwarzeneggers of the, uh, of the Christian faith. I mean, we send you out as giants of the faith to go out and win the world for Christ. We are autonomous ministry machines, trained, ordained, tested. We're amazing fundraisers, world travelers, evangelists, teachers, preachers. We're naturals. We're tempted to say that. Well, folks, I'd like to burst your bubble tonight. The answer is no way. Now, there's nothing special about missionaries. Missionaries are people just like you. Okay, let me just paint your portrait here. Weak sinners, amen? Saved by the pure grace of God, amen? Set out to the impossible task of reaching the world for Christ. Missionaries are just weak sinners trying to be obedient to the Lord in the area of missions. We have a call, sure. We're trying to do the best we can with the best of our abilities to fulfill that call. But it's hard, it's brutal, it's tough, sometimes discouraging. Now, some days it's great. When you're skiing in the Alps, you go, oh, wow, this is good, you know. <laughs> no, but I mean, there's a lot more than just skiing in the Alps. And we've seen some wonderful things happen, but it's also difficult, like anywhere else in the world. Okay, let me ask you this question. This is a really tough one. In your opinion, who is the greatest missionary that ever lived? Paul. That's what most people answer, and that's what I would answer too. Paul, of course, right? So now think about Paul for a minute. When you say that Paul was the perfect missionary, here are some of his credentials. He was bicultural, Jewish and Roman, probably trilingual, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, <coughs> very biblical. He actually wrote inspired scripture. Okay, that's pretty biblical. <coughs> he was single and thus low cost. <laughs> Do you know how much it costs to send a family of missionaries overseas these days? It's really expensive. He was a tent maker, thus self-supported. That's good. Hyper-motivated, a natural leader, a preacher, a teacher, an evangelist, a church planter. He willingly suffered, unmoved, committed, dedicated, mobilized, bold, fearless, a writer, a pastor, an author. Wow. I mean, this guy was the kind of missionary you want to send out there. And yet, and yet, can I show you one of the most amazing verses that Paul wrote himself in the New Testament? Amazing, because however gifted he was, this short verse reveals to us that he was just a normal man who had great needs just like you and me, and he cries this need out in 1 Thessalonians 5.25. It's not a very long verse. He says this, Brethren, pray for us. <laughs> this is Paul, the giant of the faith, saying, please pray for us. So why is this little verse so amazing? It's amazing because this great, mature apostle Paul is asking a young church to pray for him. Look at the verse. Brethren. Who is he asking to pray for him? Brethren. The term generally means Christians. Here specifically he's addressing the believers in the Thessalonian church. They were brethren. and They were all brothers. They had the same spiritual father. So he's calling upon the believers of the church to pray for him. Pray, to speak to her, to make requests to God. It's the most common word in the New Testament for the word prayer. 
It embraces all that includes the idea of prayer, thanksgiving, requesting special things from God for oneself or for others. It's a general word for prayer. It's the same word used in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, just before. This does not mean, he says in verse 17, pray without ceasing. That does not mean that you have to be praying 24 hours a day, but regularly and persistently praying to God and doing what you usually do in your prayer. Praise, confess, ask. So he says, brethren, pray for who? For us. Well, in 1.1, it tells you who the us is. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. Present tense shows that Paul did not want this to be a once and for all thing. Please pray for us on a regular basis. Make it habitual. So what's the context of this verse? <clears throat> well, you may remember Paul, Silas, and Timothy first went to Thessalonica on their second missionary journey in Acts 17. This was actually the second place in Europe where the gospel had been preached, Philippi being the first in Acts 16. Actually, we can go to Acts 17 and read verses 1 through 4. Now, when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned from them, with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a great multitude of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. Now the gospel had been received so enthusiastically in Thessalonica, as we just read, that the synagogue had pretty much been depleted of Jews. So the authorities blamed Jason, a Jew, who had lodged the missionaries of harboring traitors to Caesar. Jason was held to security while the missionaries fled the city. They went to Berea and then to Athens, then Corinth. So Paul gets to Athens. He sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to encourage the believers and get news from them. Meanwhile, Paul travels on to Corinth where Timothy returns with the good news about the church. So with this good news of the church, Paul sits down and writes two epistles to the Thessalonians. Now, the question I want to ask is, how old is this church in Thessalonica? How old? Well, Acts 17 tells us that Paul spent three Sabbaths in the synagogue, reasoning with the Jews. <laughs> Some feel he spent three weeks there. Others feel, well, he must have spent longer. I mean, it takes a little longer than three weeks to start a church. Regardless, it can be affirmed quite convincingly that Paul did not stay in Thessalonica very long. A few weeks, a few months at most. So let's just stretch it all out. Let's say the church is maximum six months old. So Paul is writing to a church that is six months old, and he's saying, please pray for me. I think that's cool. Now, wouldn't you have expected it the other way around? Humanly speaking, don't we expect the mature believers to pray for the young believers in the Lord? Should not Paul be praying for them? Well, he does. In chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, he prays for them. He says, I'll pray for you, but you pray for me too. It's a two-way street. But why? Why does he ask them to pray for him? I'll tell you why. Just read the book of Acts, and you will see that Paul, the mighty evangelistic machine, was constantly being attacked. 
Folks, it's amazing to see often how violently Paul is attacked verbally, spiritually, and physically for proclaiming the gospel. And Paul knew full well, better than most, that being a missionary and trying to penetrate enemy territory with the saving gospel of Jesus Christ is outright war with the enemy. Hey, Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I also say to you that you, Peter, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. Friend, this is the bottom line. Death and hell are the ultimate weapon of Satan to destroy us. He hates us. He hates us. He wants to devour us. He's prowling like a lion, seeking who he would devour. Sure, we are guaranteed ultimate victory, but we're not spared the battle. In fact, we know we're trying to snatch souls out of hell. I mean, granted, we're the agent through which that is done. I mean, do you think the enemy is just going to stand by and look? No way. He's going to try and find the kink in our armor, and he's going to try and get us. The more active you are, the more evangelistic you are, the more he's going to attack you. The more biblical you are. The, least, the less biblical you are, you'll be fine. Fine. So, realizing this very reality, that's why Paul asks this young church to pray for him. In fact, so if you look at every reference where Paul asks for prayer, it really boils down to five prayer requests. That's what I'm going to just go over real quickly right now, okay? He basically asks them to pray for five things. So you can jot these down, okay? And these could become your guide as you pray for the missionaries that you guys have sent out in support. Okay, this is really to help you pray for them. Five specific prayer requests. And these are the ones that Paul asked for himself. Number one. Number one. His first prayer request was for prospects. Prospects, or put another way, for opportunities. Look at 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 3.1. 2 Thessalonians 3.1, he says, Finally, brethren, pray for us. Okay, there it is. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you, that we may be delivered from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. So in verse 1, what is Paul asking them to pray first? That the word of the Lord may spread rapidly. The word spread literally means to run, rush forward. It's like the, the gospel, it's like you've got to visualize the gospel running, progressing, spreading rapidly. Just kind of imagine that. Pray that the gospel will run forward. That's a wonderful image. And be honored. In verse 1, that the word of the Lord may be spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you. That it would be praised and honored and glorified and exalted. See, Paul is in Corinth, and he's having a hard time convincing them to come to Christ. They resisted him and, and blasphemed him. And look what he says in verse 1 of chapter of 2 Thessalonians 3.1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified. Look at this. Just as it did also with you. So you know what Paul's doing? He's in Corinth, kind of having a hard time in Corinth. And he's looking back, and he's, he's looking at Thessalonica, and he's going, wow, I was there just for three weeks. In less than six months, this church is thriving. So you know what he's doing? 
He's comparing, actually. And he's basically saying, man, pray that Corinth would have the same fruit experience that it did in Thessalonica. Pray that the same thing would happen here that happened there. Okay, I'm going to confess something. Today, I walked into your church, and I told Jesse this. I broke the 10th commandment today. I looked at it, and I coveted. I thought, man, how can you have such a cool church? The music was incredible. The people are super nice. They're all committed. They all carry Bibles. They're all like smiling. And I'm going, Lord, I'm going back tomorrow. We're going back tomorrow on the airplane, and we're going to a church that went from 200 to 100. At 200, we were one of the largest churches in Geneva. Now we're half that size. Problems? Church problems, okay? So we're only 100 people, and we just got two emails, and we're going back to problems. And I'm going, Lord, would you pray, would you guys pray that what God has done here, he would do for us? I'm jealous, but I confessed it. I confessed it. Okay, I did. But I am jealous. It's a good jealousy. I mean, it's like unbelievable. I'd like to bring my whole church here. They'd like just be blown out of the water. I mean, right here, this is like an incredibly awesome pack Sunday for us right here. I mean, we'd feel like we're having revival if we had this many people in our church on a Sunday morning. And that's after like 12 years of hard work. Lord, will you please do for us what you did here? Oh, that would be so cool. Pray hard. France is a tough place. They say it takes 10 to 12 to 15 years to plant a church of 100 people. That's what it takes there. So I often tell people who say, hey, can I come and serve in France? I say, sure. I need 10 years of your life. It's going to take five to six years to learn French, sort of. Okay? It's a hard language. There's a lot of exceptions in grammar and stuff, you know? And then another four years to start a church, and you might start and see a church of 50 people before you leave. And once you leave, you'll think, oh, man, I wonder if it's going to survive. I'm recruiting 10 people for 10 years. That's a hard thing to commit yourself to, right? But we're praying that people would just realize and pray for us that the same thing would happen to us that has happened to you. In Colossians 4, same point still. Look what he says here. It kind of the same, it's the same prayer request, just kind of said differently. <clears throat> Colossians 4.2 For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Uh, am I right here? Four. Oh, I'm in the wrong book. That usually does not work. <laughs> Colossians 4.2 Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well that God may open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned. Would you pray that God would just open a door? That God would just open a door. In 1 Corinthians 8, 8, we read this. I got that one wrong too. Why is that? It doesn't matter. Okay, we just said it. Open door. Lord, please open a door. You know, some years back, uh, we had the Gulf War that broke out, <clears throat> you know, uh, in the Gulf, obviously. And so in our church in Geneva, we had three camps. We had those people who were pro-Americans, those who were anti-Americans, and those who were neutral. The Swiss are neutral. 
And so we had this kind of battle in our church about this battle. I mean, no one knew. You know, we, we had these, not fights, but verbal problems over this, this war. <clears throat> so I just <clears throat> did a series of sermons on what the Bible teaches about war, and it turned out to be a little book. Okay, and it's called A Christian Perspective on War. So this was sold, and one day I get this phone call. It's incredible. This guy calls me up. He says, hi, I'm a soldier in the French Navy. I live down in Toulon, France, where all the porters and all the military ships are. He says, I just read your book. Would you please come down and do a conference on war for the Department of the Navy? I'm going, excuse me? Are you kidding? He goes, no, 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 no. He says, I've already checked with all the top brass. We're asking you to come down, do a one-hour conference. Tell us what the Bible says about war. Folks, that's the kind of opportunity that just blows my mind. Okay, someone was praying that day for sure. So I went down there, and I thought, what, what, what's going to happen? So I get there, and it's packed, just packed with people. And he had the pro-wars and the anti-wars, okay? They're all there. So I gave my sermon, stepped back, and watched the place begin to just debate and get mad at each other and scream and yell at each other. It was incredible, man, you know? But I preached the gospel. See, opportunities that you can't even imagine whatever happened. So that's what you need to pray for, for for prospects, for, for these opportunities. Number two, not just for prospects, but pray secondly for power, for power. Colossians 4, 3, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert with it in an attitude of thanksgiving. Paul is writing, praying at the same time for us as well, that God may open to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been in prison in order that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. This is very cool. You know what he's saying? Not only pray for an open door, that's good, but pray that I would make it clear in the way I ought to speak. In other words, would you pray for the power of my mouth? Yes, pray for the open door, but pray for the boldness to preach the gospel clearly and accurately. It's sort of like this morning what we were talking about. It's the courage part. Lord, the opportunity is there, but now I need to use my mouth. In fact, Ephesians 6.18 says this. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf, look, that utterances may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Folks, this is Paul, the mighty missionary, asking for people to make him bold. I don't know if you ever saw these verses before like this. It's like you'd think he's unnatural. Well, he was, but he wasn't. He was just like everybody else. In the context here of spiritual warfare, and you know where he is when he's writing this? in prison. <laughs> so he's in prison, and he's asking people to pray for him that he would be bold and open his mouth and speak the gospel in prison. Now tell me that's not cool. So you know what we're asking here? Would you please pray that your missionaries 
would not wimp out in preaching the gospel. Really, it was boiled down to that. Because when you hesitate, they hesitate too. We all hesitate. It's hard sharing the gospel. I mean, you kind of, you know, you know what it's like. It's hard. It's scary, and you feel like your reputation can go in a second. It's an amazing prayer request for this evangelistic tank called Paul. So we find out that Paul is just like you and me, like all missionaries. Sharing the gospel is not easy. No, Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I've often thought to myself, why did he write that? Maybe he was ashamed occasionally. I am. Confession time. I sometimes am ashamed of sharing the gospel because I want to be seen as a good guy. John the Baptist. Man, you know, he could have saved his life so easily. He dared confront Herod of his adultery. I mean, if you want to lose your head, that's what you do. You go confront a king of his adultery. That's what he did. He preached the gospel, and it cost him his life. So, that's what we're asking. Pray for boldness. By the way, the word mouth, you know, he says, please that pray for the opening of my mouth. <coughs> Quote, an external, this is what the dictionary says, an external opening in the head through which most animals and all humans admit food and emit communicative sounds. Okay, so, so we have a mouth to eat, but a mouth to talk. And here the context is talk the gospel, like John 3.16, okay? So he's basically, he's really, really simple here. Please pray that I would dare open my mouth and explain the gospel to people and not wimp out. Three, three. Pray for prospects, power number three, for protection. Now let me tell you something. If a missionary plans to proclaim the gospel faithfully with his mouth and with power, you know what's going to happen? He will be attacked by all the combined forces of Satan, demons, and hell, bottom line. Satan, Satan and his celestial agents hate gospel-proclaiming messengers. That's why you need to pray for them. <clears throat> Second Thessalonians 3, look. 1 and 2. We saw it earlier. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you, that we may be delivered from perverse and evil men for not all have faith. I don't like that verse. <clears throat> because he was saying that he wanted to be delivered from perverse and evil men, which means that perverse and evil men were attacking him. See, Paul constantly faced hostility in his ministry, constantly. He asked the brethren that he would be protected so that he would be able to preach the gospel to more and more people. Who are these men? They were literally, quote, out of place, unrighteous. They were evil men. They were wicked people, enemies of the gospel, people who wanted to muscle, muzzle him and stop him from proclaiming the gospel, people who could not take it and wanted his destruction, unbelievers. Romans 15, 30-32, Strive together with me in your prayers. Agonize with me for your prayers for me. This is really intense praying. Why? That he might be delivered from those who are disobedient in Judah. Same thing. So what's the point? Gospel proclaimers are in constant danger. 
they need to be prayed for. They need to be prayed for. I've always been kind of amazed by 2 Corinthians 11. You know this. Verse 23. And there are servants of Christ. I speak as of the insane. I more so in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Okay. That's a whip, right? With little pieces to kind of carve into your skin. Five times he was whipped 39 times. I want to count. Each time it's a whip. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, thirty, thirty-one, thirty-two, thirty-three, thirty-four, thirty-five, thirty-six, thirty-seven, thirty-eight, thirty-nine. What do you think his back looked like? Now do that five times. That's just one of his things that he, that he went through. It's incredible to me. I, I, I just, you know, I have never shed one drop of blood for the gospel. Oh, I've been cursed. Some don't like me. Well, it hurts. But I've never shed a blood. Not even a, no one's punched me, slapped me ever. So he's asking for prayer, prayer for protection, that he could keep going. So that's what your missionaries need. They need to be protected, that they continue to do the work of the ministry because Satan wants to devour them. You know, uh, about... Twelve years ago, we had another big issue in Geneva and big church conflict, and um, it was so bad, I was hospitalized for stress, okay? I remember I was in the hospital. Meg rushed me to the hospital that night. They did all the tests on me. It was about 3 a.m. I was in this kind of grungy room. You know, I had this thing, you know, where they have all the hoses that come into your arm, and the, the crazy things, the wheels didn't turn, okay? So, I mean, I had to carry it. To, 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 to go to the bathroom because I was I had to vomit. I mean, I was like really in pain. My, my whole stomach was in complete pain. So I had to carry this thing. I had to rush to the bathroom. I'd kneel down at 2 a.m. I'm sorry, this is kind of gross. But I was like thrown up in this toilet, just sweating and just like, ugh. And I was, remember thinking to myself as I was doing all this because of stress in the ministry, thinking to myself, huh, this is not the way I envisioned the ministry when I signed up for this. Never. And I, I really didn't. I mean, I was going to Paris, France, and the Champs-Élysées, and the Alps. It was brutal. And God delivered us out of that. Yeah, there are times that are really hard. Really hard. So you need to pray for your missionaries <clears throat> that we will be protected. Number four, purity. Purity. Pray for a pure and holy living in the midst of a sinful and godless nation. Now, Hebrews was maybe written by Paul. There's debate over all this. So tonight, Hebrews was written by Paul because it fits really, really well in our sermon, okay? But anyway, look at the Hebrews 13, 18, okay? Hebrews 13, 18 is a great little verse. Hebrews 13, 18, you read this. Pray for us, 
For we are sure that we have a good conscience desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. Wow. The author is being honest and transparent. You know what he's saying? Life is tough out here. Temptations are great. I am weak. I could fall into sin at any time. Brethren, pray to God that my conscience would never get accustomed to sin, that it would continually react violently and, and, and strongly at the sight of sin, that I would remain holy and pure in the midst of a sinful and perverse generation. See, Paul knew that nothing discredits ministry quicker than sin. Elder qualifications need to be maintained for missionaries as well. And that is why it's particularly important for you to pray for your missionaries in this manner. Why? Because missionaries are often alone. They're away from home in a different culture and language. They have less or, or no time or no accountability. They can dry up spiritually and thus be more susceptible to sin. They often live in pagan cultures that are therefore bombarded with enormous amount of sin daily. France is particularly difficult. I usually say to people, France has four humanistic gods. Sex. Do you know that every beach, public swimming pool, public park is topless? You can walk on the beach, go naked. That's okay in France. This is just a normal deal. Television, nakedness is just a normal deal. No one reacts to it. It's okay. Second God is food. 13,000 restaurants just downtown Paris. Then there's vacation. You know that every French person gets five weeks vacation by law. Everybody gets five weeks minimum. Now that part I actually really like, okay? <laughs> and finally, prideful intellectualism. And so you put a missionary in there. That can get really tough. Now, granted, America's got its problems too. I'm not saying it doesn't. But some of those cultures, when you're away from home, away from your friends, away from accountability, I mean, for many years, Megan, I've had to work alone just because there's not that many missionaries. Now, for the last four years, we've had a wonderful missionary colleagues, but for most of the time, it's us. That's it. So pray for our marriages. I mean, it's really important. The purity aspect is key because you can, in one second, lose everything by a stupid mistake. So you need to pray. People, pray for our purity. And for our kids and families. It's really important. And finally, and I'll end with this. Pray for pauses. Pauses. Have you ever in your entire life perceived Paul as needing a vacation? Have you ever thought of that before? Hey, Paul, have you taken a vacation lately? You ever thought of that? Well, look at this. Romans 15, 30 to 32. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. So, here it is, that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. <laughs> Man, you know what he's saying? He's saying, you know what? I am whooped and I need a vacation. That's exactly what he's saying here. I cannot wait to come back to you guys and just put my bags down and just rest. I mean, when I first saw this request, I thought, are you kidding? Paul needs a vacation? Then I thought, absolutely. 
Everybody needs a vacation sometimes. In Philemon 22, in Philemon 22, he, he says, prepare a place for me because I'm going to come. He needed to rest. You see, Paul was tired. When you expend yourself at boldly reaching the lost, at being incessantly battered by the enemy, by striving to live a holy and pure life, you get tired. You get really tired, and especially in a foreign culture where everything just seems to be expounded. In fact, you can get exhausted. I think Paul is just giving us a glimpse into his human heart. He's longing to come home and be refreshed. You know, in Acts 19, he was in the school of Tyrannus for two years. That was probably really refreshing for him. In Acts 14, he wants to come home from the missionary journey and just be with them. See, this is a problem with a lot of missionaries. They don't know how to stop. Why? Because they always feel like they got to produce. They produce, 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 produce. Well, yes, sure, it's fine. But sometimes you just got to stop. Take a vacation, take a break. So my wife and I, the kids are gone. They're grown now. <clears throat> and we both have our office at home, we could work all the time. So we've decided that we take one day off a week. So we, we usually look at the weather pattern, and we go, oh, beautiful day. So we, we mark the day off. I get all excited, you know. It's like, wow. It's one day we just get out of the house. we got to leave the house. We usually go to a restaurant, or we go skiing, or we go do something <clears throat> just to get away. And it's, it's wonderful. We love it. It just makes us remember, hey, you know what? It's just, it's okay. It's okay to take a break sometimes. Years ago, a guy told me an idea, and this is a real trick for your missionaries, okay? It's a kidnap Meg envelope. I literally have an envelope, okay? And I'm really, this is an idea for your missionaries. <clears throat> because they always say, oh, we can't go, we're always broke. No, they're not. What you do is you have this envelope called kidnap your wife. For me, it's kidnap Meg. I literally have it in my office. And you know when you take out your change and you put it on the table or someone might give you a birthday gift? Every so often, I'll take 10 bucks or euros in our case, 20 euros, and I'll put it in the envelope. Birthday gift, put it in the envelope. You know, and I keep putting in the envelope and it just kind of gets thicker. And so then I think to myself, oh, we need a break. Let's go for a weekend somewhere. So then you don't feel guilty. You just go to the envelope. You go, it's there already. It's the kidnap mech envelope. I still use it. It's a great idea for your missionaries. Just providing for them to be able to take a break. And then when they come home, you know, just providing for them to really be able to rest. Not by lining up a thousand meetings. Sometimes that's necessary. But sometimes it's just saying, you know what? You just need to get away for a few days. We'll take care of it. Just go and rest. Really, really rest. That's what Paul was praying for. So there you go, folks. Five, hopefully, very practical things you can pray for for your missionaries. For prospects, for power, for protection, for purity, and for pauses. And um, may God really bless you as a sending church. May God, I was just thinking of Jordan down here, man, seriously, you're on your way out. You can really pray for them and their family. Pray these things for them. And I'm just really excited to see what the Lord is going to do with you, especially with your Italian background and your language. I'm really excited about that. So thanks for coming over. God bless you, and God bless you. Thank you so much. You have been listening to Emmanuel with Pastor Jesse Johnson. You can find more resources like this at ibcva.com. Here is a parting word from Pastor Jesse. If you have any questions about what you heard today, or if you want to learn more about what it means to follow Christ, please visit our church website, ibcva.com. If you're not a member of a local church and you live in the Washington, D.C. area, we'd love to have you worship with us here at Emmanuel. We're located in Northern Virginia, and for more information about when and where we worship, check out our church website. I hope to personally meet you this Sunday after our service. 
But no matter where you live, it's our hope that everyone who uses this resource is involved in their own local church. Now may God bless you this week as you seek Jesus constantly, serve the Lord faithfully, and share the gospel boldly.